0: Um, for those of you that don't know, I was on the NNU travel team Witness, uh, which means we got to travel all over the Northwest uh, to different camps, uh, hang out with students. Um, another perk of this job was we got to participate in a lot of sports tournaments, and youth group sports tournaments are probably like the best thing in the whole world. And this kind of fits in really well with my personality because... There's very few things in this world that I like more than uh, youth group and intramural-type sports. So this was really a good fit for me. And like I said, we played in so many different tournaments. Um, they kind of all just blur together. Uh, we played volleyball, basketball. We had some weird like water balloon tournaments and stuff. I didn't know you could make a water balloon tournament. That shouldn't that shouldn't really be a thing, but it was, and it was awesome. And uh, we were really good. Um, but they all kind of just blend together. Um, all these sports tournaments, except for one. Uh, we went to one camp uh, in Western Oregon, the Oregon Pacific District Junior High Camp. And this camp was awesome. Like We pulled in, and like immediately there was just a bunch of students running around. And a couple guys came up to me, and they're like, Hey, 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 I don't know your name, but do you want to be on our dodgeball team? And I was like, uh, yes, of course. Um, one, that was my job. I connect with students. And two, it's dodgeball. Like, absolutely, I will play dodgeball, 100%. And so this team um, was full of like a bunch of 7th grade guys, and it was really fun. Um, But the thing about this camp is it was pretty... Um, normal as far as the structure of the camp, but this camp did not mess around with their sports tournaments. Like they, they had it figured out. Um, this camp was like three day, three and a half days, and so each of the full days, um, there was a sport of the day. And so they would announce like, oh, the first day was basketball, and the second day was dodgeball, third day was volleyball. But on that day of the sport that you wanted to play. You get your group of friends together, and there's this line next to the breakfast line at like 7.30 in the morning when all the adults are kind of just like this, and all the kids are like sprinting towards the lines and wanting you to play with them, and it's, it's wild. Um, but the line for this tournament sign-up was even longer than the breakfast line. The kids didn't care about breakfast. They just wanted to sign up for dodgeball. And... It was really cool because you'd sign up your team, you'd get your own team name and everything. And then once you got out of breakfast on this wall outside, there was this huge whiteboard with the bracket. And like everyone wanted to see their team name, like who they were playing. And then they were probably like, I don't know, bet goldfish or something on who was going to win the tournament. I don't know. But... Eventually, the time of the day came to where the tournament was about to start for dodgeball. And so we're out there on the court, like warming up our arms and stuff. Um, And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I get a tap on my leg. And I like look down and there's one of the kids on the team. His name's John, literally three foot nothing, seventh grade kid and like blonde hair, really like bright eyes. And uh, he was like, hey, Ryan, before we start the game, we should pray. And I was like, oh yeah, like, I was totally thinking that too, John, trying to be the responsible adult, you know? Like, yeah, I'm the ministry major, and yeah, John, like, I was thinking we should pray. Like, I was just going to wait a little bit. And, um, but then John, like, circles us all up before our game, and this... And we were really good. Like, long story short, we were really good. Our dodgeball team kind of, I don't know, kicked butt a little bit. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that in church, but we kicked a little bit of butt. And uh, John carried us. John had the size and the speed of a squirrel, so he definitely carried us. Um... But this came. This became a pattern uh, for John. Every game, we played like six or seven games before the championship, and um, he would pray before every single one of them. And I didn't have the good sense to write any of them down until the championship game. And I was like, okay, I got to write one of these prayers down. Like this kid is awesome. It's classic, and. So before the last game, um, his prayer, it was, it was something else. Like it, was, it was so cool. But I wrote it down, and he prayed, Dear Lord, thank you so much for the fun we've had. If we lose, to you be the glory. But if we win, I will never stop thanking you. Now I, wonder what, I wonder if this is what Jesus meant when he said to have faith like a child. Um, that's not really the point of this, but just food for thought. The point is that John was in a place in his life where he would give everything to God, even the little things. Like, I watched him after this tournament, and he would pray before meals. He would pray before, like, nine-score and stuff. This kid was just living in prayer, this seventh-grade kid. And, like, I... For me, like this really opened my eyes because I can't tell you the last time, like I'm a ministry major and I can't tell you the last time that I prayed before an intramural game at school, before I prayed before a test, like unironically, like obviously I have the before finals college prayer of, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. <laughs> that's, that's the, like all the prayers that I pray in my normal everyday life. But for John, he would give everything. And this is how we're called to live as children of God, and this is how God has been working in my life over the last couple months. See, over the summer, my travel group, I did the math a couple weeks ago. We heard something like 80 or 90 sermons over the summer, which is a lot of sermons. It was like averaged out to like 1.2 a day for an entire three months. So we heard a lot of sermons, but the one passage that really stuck out to me the most was Romans 12, the beginning of Romans 12, what it means to be a living sacrifice. So I'm going to read that for you now. Uh, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. A living sacrifice see, I've heard this passage before, and like I said, I heard it a lot of times over the summer. But for me, it never really clicked until this summer. You see, to be a living sacrifice essentially means you have to give everything you have and everything you are to God. Everything. But if you're anything like me, like maybe sometimes you find yourself living into the almost of this calling. Almost a living sacrifice. But if we live into the almost of this calling and we're happy with being almost a living sacrifice... That's when we start to treat God like a banker, rather than a king, a friend, and a savior. For the sake of this analogy, we're going to use fake money, Monopoly money. Everybody likes Monopoly, unless you don't, which is okay. <laughs> this fake money represents everything we hold in places of value in our own lives: our relationships, our time, maybe our physical money. Um, I don't know, self-image, all everything else. That's what this fake money represents. God asks us for these things. And I don't know, I think most of us would say, like, yeah, yeah, we give some of these things to God. Here we go. Yeah, I'm struggling with my relationships. Yeah, I'm struggling with my self-image. Take these, God. And if you're anything like me, you're really good at identifying the things that need to change, the things you need to give to God. But if you're also anything like me, you're really good at taking those things back from God. When you feel like you're losing control, when you feel like God's not moving in the way you want Him to work, you take those things back. You treat God like a banker. It's a transaction. say, here God, take my relationships, take my time, take my self-image. And you're like, hmm, man, the relationship game is not going very well right now. God, I'm going to need that back. I'm going to need to work on that myself. And you take it back. You make a withdrawal from God. But when I make a withdrawal from God, I tend to withdraw myself from God. I close myself off just a little bit more instead of living into the promise that Jesus offers freedom when I give him everything. I'm going to tell you another story, and I promise that it ties in, so just stick with me. But another place that we went this summer was Alaska, which was awesome. I've never been to Alaska before this summer. And I don't know what, if any of you have been to Alaska or what you picture in your mind when you think Alaska, but I was thinking, I don't know, there's going to be like more moose than cars, um, more snow than sunshine, polar bears, I don't know, just Alaska-type things. That's, that's what I pictured Alaska to look like. That was not the case. I can tell you that right now. It was like 86 degrees every day, and the sun was up until 11.45 at night. And so sleep the, couple, sleep the first few nights was rough, to say the least. Um, but in this Alaska camp we were told when we first got there that we were going to be camp counselors which was my favorite job of the summer I love being a camp counselor you get a small cabin of guys and you just get to hang out and get to know these guys for a couple of days and then you're out of there um, which was probably the saddest part having to just leave but and this group of guys I found out pretty quick they're a bunch of freshman and sophomore guys which is awesome like that's the age group I work with in Boise and everything um And so, another thing about these guys is they had a hunger and a thirst to get to know Jesus. Which, if you know very many high school students, they don't. Even if they have this, they don't seem to show it. But these guys like showed it, and it was it was refreshing. It was cool. Um, But every day we'd have uh, cabin devotionals, and we would sit outside. We'd go find some spot outside by the lake or something, and we would have cabin devotionals from this packet that we were given the first day as leaders. And like the second or third day, uh, devotions were going well. And then um, the second or third day of camp, the passage for the day was Romans 12one and 2, what I just read you. And like I said, we heard a lot of sermons. I heard this a lot. So I was like, I got a pretty good grasp on what this means. And the first discussion question was, what does it mean to you to be a living sacrifice? Again, if you know anything about high schoolers, when you ask them a question, either it takes them like thirty minutes to register in their brain the question, or they just don't want to answer. Like those are the two those are the two choices, and for these guys it was no different. I'm just sitting there and I ask, what does it mean to you to be a living sacrifice? And then I just sat there and like stared at them. I'm like, I can wait. I have all week, buddy. I've been doing this all summer. And I just sat there and I just stared. Eventually, a couple minutes later, one of these kids raises his hand, and I was expecting, I don't know, some Sunday school answer like, Jesus, Jesus is a living sacrifice. That was not the case. Uh, he said perhaps one of the most profound things I heard all summer long. He said, in the Jewish culture, um, to sacrifice something meant to kill an animal and lay it on top of an altar. And once you'd killed that animal and laid it on top of the altar, you would light the whole altar on fire, consuming all of it in the flame. And so he said, hello. And so he said, uh, for me, to be a living sacrifice means I need to die to myself and ask God to consume me with all of his flame. And I was like, dude, you're a freshman in high school. Like I'm, a, I'm going into my junior year of college. All these kids making me feel bad about myself. <laughs> but it was, it was so cool hearing him say that. But essentially he was saying, we need to die to ourselves and give all of ourselves. Like, the the Hebrew people, they didn't pick and choose what parts of the animal to throw on top of the altar. They gave the whole thing. And if we're to be a living sacrifice, then we need to give all of ourselves as well. We don't just get to pick and choose what we want to give to God. It's not a transaction. And Jesus is essentially saying the same thing in Matthew 16, when he tells his disciples, take up your crosses and follow me. You see, I think we often don't think about this passage enough, or at least not to its fullness But Jesus, it might sound dark and scary, but Jesus is inviting the disciples into death with him. And not just any death, it's one of the most brutal forms of Roman execution, crucifixion. Take up your cross and follow me. Come die with me. You see, God wants us to be all in. And I look at the story in Matthew 19 of the rich man coming to Jesus and saying, Hey, Jesus, um, I've kept all the commandments since I was a kid. I'm kind of rich and I do a lot of good things. What must I do to be saved? And he kind of just like, I don't know, I picture this guy just like this cheesy smile at Jesus. Like, what do I need to do to be saved, Jesus? And I'm sure this guy was probably expecting a nice pat on the back from Jesus. Like, oh, you're doing great, buddy. Just keep it up. You're doing great. But this isn't what Jesus says at all. He looks at the man and he says, If you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And when the man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. He's willing to give almost everything, but not everything. You see, dying to yourself is hard. It's painful. It might mean I have to give up a relationship that I uh, that I know is bad for me. It might mean I have to give up some time in front of the TV. It might mean I have to give up some time in the gym, doing things that glorify only myself, and instead use those things to glorify God. You have to die to yourself. You have to give everything. But the good news is it doesn't end there. Nowhere in Scripture do we find that death is the end for us. You see, our Savior conquered death. We celebrate Good Friday, um, but the real celebration comes three days later with Easter when we celebrate our risen Savior conquering death, guilt, and shame. The Bible gives us an example of an all-in type sacrifice in Genesis with the story of Abraham. For those of you uh, who don't know the story super well, Abraham... Um, He was a pretty wealthy guy. And from what we know of him in the scriptures, he walked faithfully with God his whole life. But there was one thing about Abraham that wasn't all that great. He didn't have a son. And this might not seem like a huge deal to us right now, but in the Jewish culture, not having a son was a really big deal. Not having a son meant not having anybody to pass your things along to. Not having a son meant your people didn't carry on. And so... Abraham needed a son, and he needed one badly. And Abraham was getting old, and so was his wife. Um, but he was faithful, and he gave that to God too. And eventually, God promises, All right, you'll, get, you'll have a son. And a couple chapters later, Isaac is born. Abraham has a son. God's, God's promise is fulfilled. But then, something tricky happens. God says, Hey, Abraham, remember that son? Uh, Remember the promise? Uh, Yeah, I want you to go ahead and sacrifice your son on a mountain. And Abraham, I'm sure, is crushed. I'm sure he's just devastated, but he agrees. And he takes Isaac on this road trip. It sounds kind of horrible. But up to this mountain, and he's about to sacrifice his son on the altar, the promise of God, his everything, on the altar. And then God says, wait, 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 no, 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 no. Stop, stop, stop what you're doing. Long story short, Abraham doesn't end up sacrificing Isaac, but Abraham passed the test. Amen. And you see, I believe the point of the story is that God wants us to continually give him everything. To put all of our faith in God. It's really easy to give everything to God when we're at rock bottom. But it's a whole lot harder to keep giving God everything when God starts coming through. When God starts coming through on his promises, because then it's really easy to put your faith into what God just gave you. For Abraham, that could have so easily been his son. Great God, thanks for the son. Call you when I need you again. That could have been so easy. And I think we do that more than we think. But that's not what happened. Abraham remained faithful, kept giving God everything. That's who we're called to be. We're called to be living sacrifices, giving everything we have and everything we are to God. But then I put myself in the attention of these two stories, of the rich man and of Abraham, and I come to Jesus and I say, Hey Jesus, I know I'm not perfect, but what must I do to be saved? What must I do to become more like you? And Jesus says, Come, give me all you are, and come follow me. But I go away sad. Why is that my natural predisposition? Why is it that I go away sad? Because it's it's because I have so much guilt, so much shame, so much suffering, so much bitterness. How can I possibly give all of that to God? Some of that I have to work through. But why do I treat God like a banker? Why do I say, okay God, you can have a couple of these things. Um, Yeah, relationships, time, self-image, yeah, that's good. And then I start to negotiate with God and I say, Well, God, what about my addictions? What about my shame? What about my guilt? What about those? And Jesus says, Give them all to me. But why can't I? I just put them away, put them in my back pocket. Here you go, God. These things don't exist in my back pocket. But like Abraham, we are called to give everything we have and everything we are to God. Like John in the dodgeball story, we're called to give even the littlest parts of our lives to God. We don't get to pick and choose what goes on the altar. Everything goes on the altar if we want to be a living sacrifice. But we have to be careful because we're called to be living sacrifices. And we're called to be living sacrifices, so that means that we have to continually give ourselves up to God. We're not like the animal. We don't just immediately die and throw ourselves up on the altar and light ourselves on fire and boom, gone. One and done. Yeah, thankfully. It's an attitude. It's a metaphor. It's a lifestyle. We have to continually give ourselves up. One of my professors, Dr. Ackerman at NNU, uh, when I told him I was writing this sermon um, he was like, he's, he's kind of just like a fountain of wisdom. Like he has these like one line proverb things that he says to people. And they kind of just like, I don't know, knock you off your feet. And you're like, man, I wish I was that wise. Um, but I told him that I was writing my sermon on Romans 12. And he's like, oh, living sacrifice, nice. He's like, but when we see ourselves as living sacrifices, we have to be careful because we often t- see ourselves trying to crawl our way off the altar. Amen. And so I want to encourage you. It's a, it's a state of mind. It's an attitude you continually give of yourself. You keep giving back to God. You have to keep offering yourself as a living sacrifice to lean into the promise that Jesus offers freedom when you do so. That's the first step. Now maybe some of us aren't ready to do that first step today, and that's okay. It's a process. It's not just a one and done thing. But for those of us who are ready for that step or have taken that step already of giving everything we have and everything we are to God... What's next? We've died to ourselves. We've become a new creation in Christ. And we've experienced resurrection with Jesus. How do we move forward? I believe the next step is to be a witness to our own resurrection. To show the world the new creation inside of us. Who we've become in Jesus once we've died to ourselves. And Jesus has extended that invitation up through His resurrection. So now we're a new creation. We're supposed to be a witness to our own resurrection. See, the truth is when God transforms a life and when that life is renewed by the Holy Spirit, it's noticeable and it's contagious. And Jesus sets this example for us when He physically rises from the dead. He doesn't just immediately ascend to heaven. He reappears to His disciples. He reappears to a handful of people who are in the darkest parts of their lives, hopeless, sitting in a house somewhere in Jerusalem. Because everything they've been living for, everything that they've been doing, is gone. Jesus is dead. He's in a tomb. Maybe He wasn't the Messiah. That's what they're thinking. But Jesus reappears to them after His resurrection says, Here I am. And they are all overjoyed. Long story short, these, this handful of people empowered by the Holy Spirit are inspired and they change the world. So if we witness to our own resurrection and we show the world a new creation living inside of us, we stop hanging out with the same people, we stop talking the same way, we become new creations, who could we inspire? And bearing witness to our sacrificial life doesn't necessarily mean that your life has to get harder. In fact, I would argue that it gets easier because here's the practical next step. If we continue where we left off in Romans 12 with verse 3, Paul writes... We have different gifts, according to the grace given to each of us is your if your gift is prophecy, then prophesy in according with your faith with your faith gosh i 'm sorry. if it is serving, then serve. if it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully now there's a lot there, but for me, this passage essentially says. Once you've died, become a new creation, and you want to bear witness to your resurrection, what's the best way to do that? Acknowledge your gifts and use them for the glory of God. Use your gifts for the glory of God. This fake money that I'm holding, I'm pretty confident that all of us would agree it holds no real value. I couldn't take it to a bank, I couldn't take it to a store and do anything with it. Just like this paper money, the things that I hold in value in my own life... None of them hold any value outside of Jesus. None of them are eternal. In the grand scheme of things, the things that I hold in value in this life are just like the paper money in my hands. And they're useless without Jesus. But these things become valuable. These things that I hold in value become valuable when I start giving them to Jesus. By time, it becomes valuable when I stop using it to glorify myself and I use it to serve the kingdom. My self-image It becomes valuable when I stop making it all about me and how I look or how I carry myself. And I make it about how God shows through me. My relationships become valuable when I stop surrounding myself with people who will just tell me what I want to hear. People that I know are bad for me. And instead surround myself with people who will challenge me, who will love me, who will tell me the truth. It's the same way with everything in your life. Everything in your life stays the same. The things you value stays the same, but they get tweaked. They get tweaked into the lens of heaven. They get tweaked into the lens of what God wants for us, to be a living sacrifice, living into His promise. We have to give all of ourselves. We give our time, give our money, give our self-worth, give everything to God and we don't take it back. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. That's what it means to die to yourself and be raised up as a new creation in Christ. That's what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. I'd like to invite our ushers, if they would, to please come forward at this time and begin handing out the elements of communion. And as they do, I want to offer each of you a challenge. As you receive the elements... Think of the things in your life that you hold in places of value that you struggle to give up to God. Think of the things keeping you back from being a a living sacrifice. I invite you at this time uh, to spend some time in prayer and to give those things up to God. Or at least identify those things. At least start with the first step. Emotionally, maybe physically, give these things up to God. And lean into the call for us to be a living sacrifice. And one more thing, as you receive the elements, the bread and the juice, let it serve as a reminder that these are the ultimate symbols of sacrifice. A reminder that God is all in for us, and all He asks is for the same in return. It's a synergy. It's a partnership. God working through us. So let these elements serve as a reminder that God is all in for us. An example of being a living sacrifice that we too are invited into. Reflect now. This time is yours.